break and look at Psalm 61. So if you can turn there right now, open up your Bibles and turn to Psalms 61. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, thank you that Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Thank you that Elohim is your name. In the beginning, Elohim. God, that you are God supreme, that you are God the creator, that you are the sovereign God, all-powerful, and you are in control even right now. And Lord, as we come to you this morning, we ask for your blessings upon your word, that you would speak to us through your word, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us and bring our eyes upon you, bring our heart to you, God, that we would see you even in the middle middle of this crazy virus crisis that is going on, how our lives have changed, God, how, how many of us are being laid off or we've lost our jobs, but God, you are still here. You are Elohim. You are here. And that's what I appeal to you right now, God, that you would bless your word, bless our Bible study this morning, and continue, Lord, to speak to us and minister to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I read about a man who was browsing around the clearance section of a a Christian bookstore. And on the shelf was this little figurine of a man and a woman with their heads like lovingly tilted toward one another. And at the bottom of it was this inscription that read, Happy 10th Anniversary. Well, as he picked it up, it, it looked like it looked pretty good. I mean, it was on a clearance shelf. It looked like it was in perfect condition. But attached now to the figurine was this red tag. And under that discounted price was written the word, Damaged. Then underneath that tag, right underneath, was another tag with some more information about the item. He let out a little laugh, this man was looking at it, when he read what that tag said. It said, wife becoming unglued. (laughs) Well, whether it's trouble at home, trouble at work, or even right now, where we have trouble in the world, trouble in our lives, it's easy to be overwhelmed, isn't it? It's easy to become all unglued about this situation. But uh, let me tell you, in these times of crisis, God is still in control. Let me say that again. God is still in control. He is the one we can go to and overcome every fear, every anxiety, All of that, God can help us overcome in these times of crisis. Well, today, we're going to take a break from our regular study through the book of Daniel. And we're going to go to the book of Psalms now, Psalm 61. And here we find words of comfort, reassurance that in times of any crisis, whether it's what we're going through now or anything, we can go to God and we can find help, we can find peace, we can find reassurance in Him. In this time, we can find safety and security in him. And we find this from this song that David wrote when he was going through a crisis. So today, this is we're going to find out how to overcome when overwhelmed. That's our title this morning. How to overcome when overwhelmed. We're going to be studying Psalm 61, the, the whole psalm here, all eight verses. And this is how to overcome when overwhelmed. There's three things we're going to find. This is how you do it. Number one, look up. Number two, look back. And number three, look ahead. So that's our outline, and that's how to overcome when overwhelmed. Let's look at number one right now. Look up. Number one, look up. 
Now take a look with me in this first section we're going to just cover the first two verses, Psalm 61, 1 through 2. And let's read this. Take a look here. It says here in Psalm 61, To the choir master with string instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And we'll stop right there. Now, we begin with King David assigning, really, there's a title here. A lot of the psalms have a little title before verse 1. And he is assigning this psalm to be sung by the Jewish worship team. So he's giving it to the leader, the choir master here. And it's to be sung with string instruments. And you know what? That's Hebrew for guitars. Don't you love it? Guitar players? No keyboard. Sorry, Wyatt. No, just joking. But it could be a lute or you know some sort of string instrument that they were to accompany and sing this song here. Now, in the title, it mentions here, of David. Now, what that is saying is that King David wrote the lyrics and the music of this psalm. Now, don't you wish we had like this MP3 recording? We could go to iTunes and buy it and download it and have it. I mean, I love. I wish we could have that with all of our psalms, but we don't. But we can imagine what this was uh, like. So, here's King David. He had written it. And so the lyrics of this psalm, or this song, it starts with this in verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Now, this cry is a desperate cry. This is what David is writing. It's a call to God. There's this feeling of this heartfelt loss here. He's asking God here, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer prayer. In his deep cry, he's saying, listen, attend to me. Attend to what I'm going through. Attend to what I'm having a hard time right here. Now, in what most believe is that David is going through one of the biggest crises of his life. Even though it's not indicated here, like in the title, some of the Psalms tell us that. But here, most believe that David wrote this Psalm when he was in this city or this area called Mahanaim. And that's found in 2 Samuel 17, 27. You know, he had escaped with his life to the other side of the Jordan River on the east side to this place, Mahanaim. And it's there, it's believed he wrote this psalm. He's going through a crisis. He had lost his throne. He has lost the kingdom to the one who would hurt him the most. And you know what? That is one of his own sons, Absalom. So no wonder he writes here, hear my cry. You know, you can almost feel it. Oh God, listen to my prayer. And then from verse 2, no wonder he says, from the end of the earth I call to you. No wonder he says that. He's, he's calling to God. He's, David sits on the other side of the Jordan, far away from his palace home, far away from God's temple in Jerusalem. So no wonder he says, I call to you from the ends of the earth, I'm calling out to you. And then he says this in verse 2, uh, when my heart is faint. Now, He's calling out because his heart, the word faint, is like it's weak, it's failing. The NLT actually translates the word uh, faint as overwhelmed. So David is basically saying, I have no strength to go on anymore. So that's why David cries out to God. This situation, this crisis for him, this is 
way over his head. He's drowning in, in the pain. He's, he's sinking into this sorrow, into this crisis, and it's way too much for his heart to even handle. He's overwhelmed here. Now, most of us, they, they know the story how David's son Absalom had secretly undermined the father's rule and popularity. Remember, he set himself as a judge and a leader in the court system, and, and he, he began to win the people over. Then after four years of talking about being, hey, I'm the better king. I would be a better ruler than my dad. You know, he took over. He proclaimed himself as ruler of the nation. And so at this moment, David had to run for his life. And then with a small uh, band of loyal followers, they escaped. They got out of there. And here they are far away from home. And in that day, in this rebellion, David not only lost his kingdom, but he, his chief advisor defected and went with Absalom. And you know what else I think is probably weighing on David's heart? On top of all that, it could be that David was full of regret. He probably felt responsible for his poor handling. If you remember, Absalom murdered the man who had, who had raped his sister. And perhaps he felt like, well, this is all coming back on him. Well, what does David do? Does he just wallow in that sorrow? Does he just let all of this crisis just drown him? No, he calls out to God even being so far from the city of God, Jerusalem, right? He knows you are never so far away that you can't call out to God. He knows you are never so far down that we can't pray to God. Know that, folks. Know that, people. So what does he pray? Well, look at, look at now the second part of verse 2. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Don't you love that? David calls out to God to bring him to the place of safety. That's what he's saying, to that rock that is higher. Remember, he's drowning in this sorrow and crisis. He needs God to pick him up and put him on the solid ground. The word lead here actually isn't just guide. The idea is to bring, to bring and guide. It's, it, it actually means to like transport. God, Grab me, transport me to where you are. Guide me to you, lead me to you. Transport me to that rock that is higher than I. And that really says a lot. The thing is, David cannot reach that rock by himself. He, he needs help. He needs God's help. And not only is God the one who can transport him out of this, out of uh, his sorrow and pain and everything overwhelming him. Not only God is the only one who can help, but God is that rock of safety. God is that rock of security. God is that rock of stability in this time of crisis. And that's what he means. Lead me to the rock that's higher, higher than what I'm being overwhelmed with. So you know what? David, I can almost see him as he prays this, as he's writing this song, as he's you know wrote this song in the middle of this this crisis, David looks to God for help. He looks up, and he looks to God to lift him up out of these waters. So David looks up, and that's number one here in our outline. We got to look up. We got to look up to God, and that's what David does. David looks up when the situation is so down. Let me read to you um, Psalm 18.2. This is something else that uh, we see in the Psalms. It says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. 
My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's what David is thinking about as he asks God to transport him to that rock that is higher. Well, David goes directly to God and cries out to him. For you know what he sees? This is our point. The Lord is my rock, and he alone can lift me up above the crisis and keep me from being overwhelmed. Let me say that again. The Lord is my rock, and he alone can lift me up above this crisis and keep me from being overwhelmed. Isn't that a good word for us? Isn't this psalm just speaking to our hearts as many of you are facing so many different things and and going through so much emotions and things in your mind and anxiety, but let God lift you up. Look up, look up to him. You know, I read about this man in this blog. He was an older man, and he was telling a story how he was body body surfing in Virginia Beach one day when, you know, he's having fun and everything, and all of a sudden he stepped in this hole in the sand. And in this big hole in this area of the sand, it must have been, I was thinking, you know, where the waves break and it kind of digs out a hole in the sand. Well, he stepped in this hole, and it made the water go above his head. He said he nearly drowned as he tried to swim out of it. But every time he did, he was trying to swim out, trying to swim out. Uh, The waves would come and crash down on him, pulling him back into this area where this was this hole in the sand where the water became deep and above his head. Well, you know what he writes in his blog? After 10 times trying to swim out and the waves crashing and trying to swim out, the waves crashing and pulling him back in, 10 times the man cried out. His niece's boyfriend ran in, grabbed hold of his outstretched hand and pulled him up and out of that hole and back onto shore. Well, I think that's what David felt here. I mean, can you imagine that feeling of desperation? You're trying, uh, you're in this crisis, uh, you think you're going to drown. I mean, just think of David feeling these things. I think the waves of his emotion kept washing him into that hole of his crisis, and, and everything was coming upon him, and he was overwhelmed. He knew, though, he knew that when he cried out and reached up to God, that God, that the Lord's hand will grab hold of his and pull him up and out to the rock that is higher than him. David knows who to go to, for he's found, right? The Lord is my rock, and he alone can lift me up above my crisis and keep me from being overwhelmed. I know it's a very trying time. For us, life has changed unexpectedly, unprecedented, right? I've been saying that's my word, right? And we all face an unknown future in this virus crisis. But know this, God is still greater. He's greater than this virus. He's greater than this situation. He's greater than any, any situation or our economic situation that the virus may cause. Whether you know, you've lost your job or your hours been cut back or you don't know what to do, how are you going to pay for this? All these changes in our life, we've got to stay home, we've we got to stay in place, we can't go to church. You know what? God can pull us up out of any fear, any worries, any anxiety that's going on. Does the waves of this crisis keep washing over you? Do you feel like you're maybe beginning to drown, beginning to sink? You're not able to swim out of the hole of that fear and anxiety and trouble? Do you feel overwhelmed right now? You know what the answer is? Look up. Look up, O child of God. The Lord is your rock. 
He will lift you up. You know, I, I was thinking in, I, of this song, and I was kind of worshiping like with it, too. Uh, it's by Lauren Daigle, right? And, and uh, the words in the song are like, Where are you now when darkness seems to win? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? Uh, what the chorus is, I hear you say, Look up, child. Look up, child. And ver- the second verse is, uh, where, are you, where are you now when all I feel is doubt? Where are you now when I can't figure it out? I hear you say, look up. That's what we need to do. We need to look up, you guys. Look to the Lord that he would lead us to that rock that is higher than I when we're overwhelmed. Listen to what Corey Ten Boom once said. If you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. If you look at God, you will be at rest. That's it, God. Guys, we got to look up at God. Look up to Him. How to overcome when overwhelmed? Number one, look up. Look up. Well, let's go on here to number two now. Look back. Look back. We've seen how to overcome when overwhelmed. Look up, number one. And now number two, look back. We go on here, and we're, this section we're going to cover Psalm 61 from verses 3 to 5. But first, verse 3. Take a look with me here now. Verse 3. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. And we'll stop there. Now, <clears throat> David knows God will, I underline that, will lift him up onto that rock of safety. He knows that when he calls out to God. How does he know that? By past experience. Notice what he writes here in verse 3. He says, for you have been. In other words, I know you will help me, for you, God, have done this in the past. You know, when I think about Elohim, when I think about God supreme, when I think about in the beginning God, Genesis 1-1, you know what? It speaks to me about God is my creator and God is eternal and that means God is unchanging. He stays consistent throughout the years, throughout eter- throughout time, right? And into eternity. So David, he looks back and that's our heading. He looks back on his past experience. And so that's what we're going to see in this verses as he looks back. He finds comfort in three ways and that we're going to see this in our section in verses 3 through 5 here. And we're going to see these three things. For David, God's been number 1 my protector, number 2 my peace and security, and number 3 my promise keeper. So Let's look here. First of all, for David, God's been, number one, my protector. My protector. Take a look again here in verse 3. David writes here in verse 3, You, God, basically have been my refuge. The word refuge here, it's speaking about a place of safety, right? It's a place where we can go and be be safe and protected from any harm, anything going on. Matter of fact, he says, You have been, verse 3, Uh, my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Now, a strong tower, he's referencing to these towers that were built 
uh, on the edge of the city, right? They were right there on the city walls, and they really connected the city walls together to be a strong tower, a wall, strong tower. And all around the city was this strong tower. And that became a place of safety, a place of defense. It's a place of shelter where if, if you're being attacked, you can go into that strong tower and be safe. Well, God has been, for David in the past, David's protector. And that's why he says, you're my protector. You're my place of safety here from invasion, from attacks of the enemies. And, and he knows God has been that way. He's going to continue to be my protector. Now, I want you to take a moment here. Turn over. Uh, to the right in your Bibles to Psalm 91. Turn over to Psalm 91. And I just want to reference a few uh, verses here in Psalm 91. Psalm 91. We're going to just basically look at verses 1 and 2 here, but Psalm 91. It's uh, right there to the right. Uh, If if you can't find it, it's uh, right after Psalm 90 and right before Psalm 92. I hope that helps. No, just joking. Anyway, Psalm 91 here. Psalm 91. Look at verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, verse 2, to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Isn't that beautiful? It goes right along with Psalm 61. Listen, when it says in verse 1 here in Psalm 91, He who dwells in the shelter of Of the Most High. It means a place to hide. Shelter in the Hebrew is like a place to hide from enemies in the situation. And then, as we mentioned here, when it says in verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, that's that place of safety, like back in Psalm 61. So, the refuge is a place to run to to be safe from your enemies. And then, I love this where it says in verse 2, and my fortress. My God in whom I trust. A fortress in the Hebrew, it means a place of defense from your enemies. So we see this shelter, this place of safety, a place of defense. And through the years, this is what David is saying. God's been David's uh, uh, divine protector here in all his situation as he looks back. One more thing, just a note. I was thinking about this in verse 3 of Psalm 91. I think this applies for us today. It says, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. God is here. God is our shelter. God is our refuge. God is our fortress here. So back to Psalm 61 now. So we see, for David, God's been, number one, my protector. And then number two, as he looks back, as he... From his experience in the past, number two, he sees God's been my peace and security. So number two, for David, God's been my peace and security. Now look at verse 4, Psalm 61, back there. It says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. So David wants to continue now. He's crying out that as he looks back, You know, let me continue like before. Let me be able to dwell in your tent. Now, what is he speaking about? He's talking about God's house, the sanctuary, right? The temple over there. God's long, I mean, David's longing really is to worship God, to be in there, to go to service, to to go and worship him and, and be, you know what? In his presence again. 
The word dwell here means to welcome a guest. Actually, right here, this word is speaking about like a traveler who comes in and he dwells. He's a guest. He finds a place where he can rest and be secure and and have a place for the night. So this is a place of peace and security. That's the idea with the word dwell. And that's what David found. He found that when he goes to worship, when he goes to the temple, that, that in the past, whenever he comes into the presence of God, his desire is, is, is that I want to be there forever. And so, Lord, if I could go and be in your presence again, hey, that's what I want to do again. I remember back then, and I want to be there forever And isn't that how we feel many times? And that's what I hope you feel as we get into God's word, as we worship the Lord, when we pray here, even online, that we can feel the presence of God. And we just we just want to stay there. You know, there's sometimes I was just just, um, praying to the Lord this morning and having my time with God. And, you know, I was like, oh, Lord, I, I just want to stay here. You know, I just want to be here forever. Well, that's what David is saying. So whenever David he would enter into God's presence when he would go worship the Lord, when he go to God's sanctuary, whenever he entered into his presence, David finds here, he says in verse 4, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. It's He wants to take refuge under the shelter, under God's shelter. Now, I believe here that David brings in this analogy. There's some little different views. Some say it's a mercy seat on top of the ark, but you know, for me, I think he's really, I believe he's, he brings this analogy of like baby chicks being protected under the wings of the mother bird. So what David is saying, spending time in God's presence is like, like the wings of the bird hiding and shielding him from predators. This is the place of peace and security. So David said, you're my peace and security. I, I don't know if you notice, um, over at the space, uh, uh, there's a lot of chickens running around. I mean, I was like, whoa, what's going on now, over there in Makwal by Pizza Fresh and in our space there, a little uh, uh, space room that we're renting. You know, it's kind of like, what's going on? This is like Kauai, yeah, the chicken island. But anyway, a lot of chickens running around. You open the, I open the door, and one of them always is looking like he wants to go in, and I'm chasing him out. But, the, you know, the other day, when I was uh, unlocking the door for our meeting, uh, a hen that was just nearby, right, right there in front of our window, all of a sudden stood up and then moved. But when she stood up, out ran five or six chicks from underneath her. I didn't even see them until uh, the, the hen stood up and opened up her wings and ran, and all the little chicks ran, you know, uh, following in, in her and ran, ran behind her. They were tucked away, safe and secure, under her wings. And you know what? That's like what it is in the presence of God. So no wonder David wants to dwell in the sanctuary. He wants to go and be with God where he's met with God there. And there he finds that God is his peace and security. So we see here. For David, God's been, number one, my protector. Number two, my peace and security. And now as we go on to verse 5, we see number three here. For David, God's been my promise keeper. My promise keeper. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. 
It says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Now, notice again, David says, have heard, right? Uh, 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 he's saying, look, I, God, I've heard, you've heard my vows. You know what it was like in the past here. You know what I've done. God in times past have heard uh, David's vows, how he was uh, dedicated, committed to follow God in all his ways. So he's looking back at that time saying, God, you, you remember back then? You, you remember in, in all of that? It was when David like fully devoted his life to God and, and the Lord gave uh, God then, I mean, the Lord gave David then here in verse 5 we see, uh, you have given me the heritage of those who fear my name. So the Lord gave David this heritage, which is the blessing of those who are God's people. Now, heritage here in the Old Testament, this meant like a life in the promised land. It, it, it meant a, a life with God, being part of God's people at home uh, with God uh, in the nation of Israel. So this meant that God was involved in it, that God was involved with the people of God. So this is the blessing for those who fear, those who honor, respect, and follow after God. So here's David. He's looking back now on what God promised him. You know, when he made his vows, when he committed his life to him, he's saying, you've heard my vows. You, you remember what I've done and about how you promised, how, how you've given me this heritage. You heard my vows, what you promised. You did do that. So David seeing God fulfill his promise to him. That's the idea here. David seeing God, that God is my promise keeper. So do you see what David is saying? I, when I made my vows, when I made my commitment to you, and you promised that you would be with your people, well, if people would do that, and when I did that, God, you did that. You did that in my life. You are my promise keeper. You've kept my promises. You've done everything that you said you would do. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, I have thumbed my Bible many a year, like, you know, thumbed through the pages. I have never yet thumbed a broken promise. And then he said this, The promises have all been kept to me. Not one good thing has failed. I love that, you guys. That's what David is saying. Not one promise of God that he told David in his word has ever failed him. God, you have never failed me. As he looks back, that's what he is saying. So David looks back, right, on these past experiences, and it brings him comfort. For David, God is, number one, my protector. David is my peace and security, number two. Number three, David is my promise keeper. So in all of this, in what David's found is, is this, and this is, this is an overall point here in this section, the settled assurance in his crisis comes from remembering how God was always there for me in the past. This is David. David said, hey, the settled assurance in my crisis comes from remembering how God was always there for me in the past. Understand that, you guys, that no matter what we go through, God hasn't changed. God is eternal. And we can have the settled assurance too, just like David, as we remember that he's always been there for us in the past. 
You know, uh, as we've been watching the news, and we know uh, Europe has become a a, a center of uh, the new center or epicenter for the virus, and and we know Italy has been hit really, really hard with this coronavirus. Well, early on, a few weeks ago, when when they were when things were first starting to break out there, in response to the government, you know, encouraging everyone for that social distancing and distancing, and they're saying, yeah, you know, for us it's six feet. They're saying one meter, one meter between each other. Well, I don't know if you caught this this article, but in the news, a man wore in public this one meter. So, uh, one meter in circumference, cardboard, this big orange circle. It was a big orange circle. He cut a hole in the middle, and he put that on with some strap. And that's how he went out in public with this huge circle, you know, like a flying saucer. He's just kind of walking around to make sure people would stay that uh, distance that was mandated by the Italian government. Maybe you saw pictures of that. He's walking around like this, and, hey, you know, social distancing. And that was his way of staying protected and safe from the virus. And, you know, you can say I was thinking, well, hey, that was pretty innovative, right, in his approach, you know. But, you know, with this big circle, I was thinking, how how you go to the, the public restroom, you know, like that, right? Or, or, you know, how about you get in your car and drive? What, what do you do? You know, you cannot, right? Or how you get into the doors of the store or the grocery store to get your stuff. I mean, maybe he just took the thing off to get through, but isn't that like, like defeating, you know, his whole, you know, circle of, of, you know, defense here? Sure, you know, I'm sure he took it off and everything and innovated, but, but you know, I was thinking it might be better rather than this big circle of cardboard, it's just practice what they're telling us to do, which is what we've always done, right? Whenever um, there's sickness or a virus or something out there, what, 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 I mean, we've been told this for years, ever since we were small, right? Wash your hands, right? Uh, uh, don't get close to someone who's sick. or you know, you know, we just practice what we've always done is that, you know, if you cough, cough into a napkin or into your or your sleeve, or whatever that is. But And if you're not sick, hey, stay away, right? Keep washing your hands, you know, don't touch your eyes and mouth. It's something, it's a practice of what we've always done and have always been told us. Well, I think we don't need that big circle, little, you know, <coughs> uh, social distance circle thing. I think what we've done for years is fine. You know what? It's tried and true. Just keep that distance from each other. Well, this is David. David reminding himself of what has been tried and true. And you know what? That's going to the Lord. That's crying out to God. That's what has helped them in the past. That's what has given him peace and safety. And, and he's not overwhelmed in that way. As he looks back, he needs to just go back to what is tried and true. So that's where he finds his settled assurance in his crisis. He comes to remembering how God was always there whenever he called out. He was always there for him in the past. Do you remember how God has helped you before? Remember, just take a moment. Think about that right now. Think about how, remember how when you prayed, he answered that prayer. Think about it. In times of crisis in the past, he prayed, and and all of a sudden, this miracle came about. Think about those times. Remember those Red Sea moments when your crisis seemed impossible to get through. 
But what happened? God opened up the sea. And you got through and walked on dry land, just like the children of Israel. That's what we need to do, to remind ourselves. You know what? If God got us through last time, he can get us through it this time again. He can, you guys. I believe that. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's Jesus, right? Hebrews. He can do this again. Listen, God's not up there saying, you know what? Sorry, you only have four saves in a lifetime. And that's it. You used up all your saves, you know, just like those game shows. No, God is not saying that. God is saying, I love you. I care for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm the eternal, unchanging God. I'm Elohim here. I'm powerful. I'm supreme. I'm above this virus, stronger. And you know what? I will be there for you, just like in the past. God is speaking to your heart right now. Let that calm your fears and worries right now. Don't let what's happening with this crisis, and I know there's a lot of unknowns out there. I know there's, there, there's a lot of uh, things. What's going to happen in the next few weeks? What about my job? I can't work. I don't know how I'm going to pay for food and rent. There's a lot of unknowns. I, I, I'm not feeling good. Is this it? Do I have the virus? You know, don't let those things erase from your mind. What God has done in the past. Don't let it cloud your mind and cover up the miracles that God has done for you in your lifetime. Listen, if God loved you yesterday, then you know what? He still loves you today. So, how to overcome when overwhelmed? Look back. Look back. We need to look up, look back, and now let's go to our third, third heading here. Look ahead. Look ahead. How to overcome when overwhelmed? Look up, look back. And now number three now, look ahead. Look ahead. Uh, we'll finish up here. Psalms uh, 61, and we're going to finish up the chapter, verses 6 through 8. But let's just look at the verse 6 and 7 right now. Here, David writes, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Okay, with all this in mind, David now prays that God would then prolong his life here, verse uh, 6. Prolong the life of the king. He's the king. And he's saying, "May, may my years endure to all generations. So he's asking God to prolong his life. And with all of this in mind now, this is his prayer. And this is even with the threat of his own son coming after him. You see, he knows that God is greater than the threat on his life right now. That God's hands is not Absalom's, right? God is in control. So David is confident that either way, what God said, you know, about even his dynasty and what's going on, it's going to endure to all generations. So let me explain to you what what that means. He is praying that his dynasty, his family, will go on and be enthroned forever. Like verse 7, may he be enthroned forever before God. What is he saying here? What what is God, uh, or what is David appealing to? Well, Well, God promised David that 
his dynasty, his family will go on forever. And this is, this is what's in his mind right now as he prays to God here. Now, God has promised David something. What did God, God promise? God promised that the Messiah who will rule will come through David's line. And we know, right, that that has been fulfilled in who? In who? Jesus Christ. That's right. Think about how at this time it, it, it looks like David's lost his throne, right? It looks like the future plan is all messed up that, that God had for, for, for uh, David and, and the kingdom. I mean, how is God going to do this? You could kind of maybe wonder, maybe a, a little doubt maybe in the back of his mind. Is Absalom's sin going to bring an end to God's promise that the Messiah will come through his line? No, David has faith. He has faith in this, that somehow, some way, God will keep his word, that God will fulfill his promise, and that there's a future as he looks ahead to what God had promised. So David prays that God would appoint, or allot, a steadfast love upon him. Now, that, there's, in old King James, that word is mercy, that God would have mercy on him, that he would have this loyal love is, is literally what the translation in the Hebrew is. And David asked God to be true to his proven faithfulness here in, in verse 7, steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him, that he would be true to his proven faithfulness in watching over, keeping an eye on David and what God had promised him as a king, as his dynasty to go on. So, David puts his trust in what God had promised in the future. And this is how David looks ahead to all that God will do. Let me, maybe let me explain this a little more. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, I don't know if you remember, the Lord told David that um, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before you forever. Your throne shall be established forever. You remember David wanted to build the temple and all, but uh, God said, no, you can't. Your, your hands, you know, you're, you're a man of war, uh, your hands are blood, but someone else can do that. But, but you know what? Let me tell you something. And he blessed Daniel by telling him, from your line, from you, will come the Messiah, basically, in 2 Samuel seven sixteen, And then later, <clears throat> David tells Solomon, his son, that God told him that, Solomon, you're the one that's going to be king over the kingdom and uh, continue this line on to the Messiah. Listen to this. In, sec- in First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 9 through 10, says this. Behold, a son, the Lord is telling David this. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. That's Solomon, who, who, who didn't go into war like David did. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give him peace and quiet to Israel in his days. And then, then, then here in First Chronicles 22, verse 10, right after that, it says, He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So listen, David knew it was Solomon, not Absalom, who will carry on the dynasty down to the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? David's here in this crisis, right? 
Over here is the Messiah who will one day rule and reign. David's here. Absalom has come in with this sin and what he's doing. David's going, is that really right? I mean, Solomon is supposed to be the guy. But David's here. The Messiah is here. He doesn't know how from David in this crisis right now is going to get to the Messiah here. He is not sure how that's going to turn out. But you know what? It will happen. Some way, somehow, God will work his plan. Absalom's sin cannot stop God's plans and promises. This crisis that David is in cannot stop God's plans and uh, promises. And I believe then, David knew he was still to be part of that plan. That Solomon, he was going to appoint him as the one to carry on and to head toward the Messiah. That It was Solomon in his line. I believe David felt it was not the end for him. So even more than ever, David wanted to live for God. Even more than ever, he, he wanted to be part of this fulfillment of God's future over here and his plan for Israel. Amazing here what David is saying. So, so Lord, hey, prolong my life. Get me back in, in, into the action here. Put me, because I know you, somehow we're going to get to this. I don't know how, but I, Lord, help me here. It's not, I know it's not my end, because I can look ahead and see what you're going to do. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I can look ahead and know you will. John Phillips wrote this in his commentary. David's faith soared over all obstacles. He saw beyond time to eternity, beyond the 70-year span of his mortal life to life in God, which does go on eternally. So I love that. I love how David looked over, looked over his crisis and soared over it in faith and trust in God. So what was going on in this crisis was he saw was never going to stop God's plan for him in the future. That made David's faith soar over the present crisis. I love that. Don't you? Don't you? I mean, I know Jesus is coming soon, you guys. In our situation right now, I know that he will be here first. We know. We've been studying in Daniel. We've been talking about in our end times update. We know one day Jesus is going to return and we know the rapture is going to happen. It could be any day. Maybe all this stuff is a, a step into and I'll talk more about that next time. But, but think about this. The rapture could happen any time. It could happen right when I'm saying this word. All of a sudden, boop, I'm gone. No, that's a camera trick. No, but understand, I know he's coming. So we know what the future is. We know and we can look ahead to that to find comfort and not be overwhelmed right now. So with all that in mind, our last verse here, verse 8. David commits to God now. He says in verse 8, So will I ever sing praises to your name as I uh, perform my vows day after day. So David is motivated now more than ever, you know what, to sing praise to God. Yeah, he's way over here on the other side of Jordan, but that doesn't matter. Yeah, he's away from the temple of where he usually goes to worship. That doesn't matter. You know, I'm going to sing praise to my God. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to go into his presence just where I'm sitting here from the ends of the earth. I'm still going to praise God knowing what's ahead in the future. And, and he says here in verse 8, 
as I perform my vows day after day. You know what he's saying? It means no matter what he's feeling right now, no matter how far away he is from Jerusalem and the temple, no matter the crisis, David is saying, I'm going to continue to worship and seek God every day. That's his vows he's talking about. Going to the Lord. God, I'm going to follow you. God, I'm going to commit to you. That he did when he worshiped the Lord in the temple back back when he was there in back home. So David looks ahead. And since he's looking ahead, knowing that the promise of God is going to be fulfilled, David will maintain his commitment to seek God consistently. Psalm 37, 34 says, Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land you will look on when the wicked are cut off. In other words, Wait on the Lord. Keep seeking Him. Keep doing what God asks you to do. And we need to do the same, you guys. That's why we continue, Pastor Stephen and I, and we will continue to encourage you to not stop connecting with this church, with your body, your ohana here together. As we we were doing church different, yeah. It's not the same. It's kind of weird maybe. And some of you don't like change. And 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 sometimes I don't like either. But you know what? We're going to adapt. And we're going to not let this crisis, this virus, and what we have to do to do our part to stop us seeking God together and being in his word. And and that's David. I'm still going to praise God. I'm going to perform my vows. I'm still going to go to the Lord and commit my life to him and surrender. Say, Lord, I'm here. Lord, I'm here for you. I want to hear from you. I want you to speak to me. That's why we keep doing what we're doing. Praise the Lord, we still can. So our last point is this. David sees how important it is that you do not let the crisis stop you from seeking God and looking to him for what he's going to do next. Do not let the crisis stop you from seeking God and looking to him for what he is going to do next. It's been said that man's extremity is God's opportunity. The word, it's an old word, extremity means, uh, uh, means the most extreme or the furthest point of something. In other words, in times of crisis, when we're pushed to the edge, the extreme of our limits, when we are stretched to the limits emotionally, mentally, everything, financially, there we find opportunity to seek God more and see him work miracles. That's David. He's soaring over his crisis. He looks past to the present crisis. He's looking ahead. He looks over around to what God will do next, next to fulfill his plan. He's here. The Messiah's here. He knows Solomon is somewhere in here, but he's going to seek God in his direction and guide us. He's going to seek God and praise him because he's no... He knows some way, somehow, it's going to go from him to Solomon to the Messiah down the world road. For this crisis is not going to stop God. He knows that. He knows God still has a plan in place. So do you see what David sees? Look for the glory of God in these times of crisis, guys. Uh, what I mean is look for what God may do and is doing. Stare not at, at the empty wallet. Stare not at, at well, i got to be home. Stare not at the restrictions that are, that are being placed in the quarantines and all that. On, on, on the, what the mayor was saying yesterday and all, or what the state is doing and what the country is going in. But, you know, let's adapt. Let's look past this. Let's, you know, we're at home. we got to stay home. You know what? 
Seek God more then, right? Uh, uh, spend time together with your family. Pray more, talking about the Lord. And I'll tell you, when you seek God and look for what does God want us to do next? How are we going to get to hear? You know, you're going to hear his voice. You're going to hear God speak to you through his word. You're going to see his hand moving and doing miracles for you during this time. I believe it, God. guys. I believe it. I trust in God. I know. I feel it. I, I, God has given me a, a, a peace and showing me that. You know what? We've got to do church like this, but he's still going to move, and I believe he's moving right now in your hearts. And he wants to do Miracles like you've never seen before. So seek him out. Seek God. And don't let all this that is happening overwhelm you to a point where you're, you're, you're like, oh, not even seeking God. No, seek God more. Fight it and seek him more. You know, let me close with this. I've been reading about a Norwegian missionary named Maria Monson who served about 30 years in China and uh, <clears throat> um, yeah. Uh, it was um, from the early 1900s, and her, her efforts sparked a revival that even lasted 10 years over there in China. And, and she went through many crises, but, but she trusted in God in his plan for her calling there. Matter of fact, I, I was reading how when she first landed there and, and got off the ship and everything, she slipped and fell and was like unconscious and was almost like in a coma for days. But she got up and she kept going because she knew her calling. She knew what God wanted her to do, even though that could have discouraged her. One time when these Chinese soldiers were in disarray because she was serving the Lord there during the Boxer Rebellion, was which was a step into communism there. Um, and, and these soldiers, they were looting the city and going around because they, they were all in disarray and everything. Uh, Maria and the Chinese Christians uh, with her heard shooting, shouting all night long, but not one rebel soldier came in and banged on their door into the mission compound. Well, the next morning, uh, after everything had calmed down, many of her neighbors came to her and said, who are those protectors you had? And they separately now, the different neighbors said that they had seen, excuse me, tall foreign soldiers standing on the, the high roofs of their compound, uh, one at each end, one in the middle, and a fourth protector was sitting on the porch right there in front of their main gate. Just keeping watch, and they're like on watch, keeping in all direction. And they said they were there all night. And all the accounts, they all said the same thing. They saw these guys, and you know what? They were shining. They're like glowing. Well, Marie or the other Christians in the compound, the mission compound, they didn't see anybody. But I believe God sent these angel protectors. And, and knowing that, Marie and these other believers believe that God... Uh, confirmed to them that he is the one taking care of uh, them, and he takes care of those who trust in him. There was another uh, incident, there was another time when she was traveling on a ship when Chinese pirates took over the vessel, and throughout the whole ordeal, God was speaking to her. It, It was interesting, they all came on board the ship with guns and pistols and stuff, and they ordered everyone out of their cabins, and she didn't go. Uh, She didn't obey that. And, and matter of fact, they didn't come in to make her. They did come in to talk with her, but she would go in there and seek the Lord. And she shares that God had spoken to her through uh, just putting this reference in this scripture into her mind, which is Isaiah 41.10. 
Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the Lord spoke to her. And so this pirate came in with a pistol and asked for her watch, a, 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 you know, a foreign nice watch. And she said, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to give it to you. And, and the guy's like, well, no, I'm going to shoot you. And I, I'm, I can shoot you whenever I want. And, and she said, no, no, you can't. My God said that no weapon that is formed against you will succeed. And he said, this is the heritage of the saints of the Lord. So she explained clearly to him what that meant and that the living God must give you permission to shoot me. I mean, she was brave, courageous here. But again, he's like, oh, yeah. And he put the pistol to her head and said, I can. I can shoot you right now. And she goes, no, you can't. Well, this pirate went back and forth four or five times, she writes, until he left. And then Marie writes, he kept repeating that verse to his cohorts for days, saying, he can't, uh, I can't shoot her, for her God says that not one weapon will succeed. Crazy, huh? Well, by the end of that siege, it is said that through her witness and stand for God, uh, many of these pirates came to know Jesus Christ. Amazing, isn't that? I just want to share you a little stories of hope here that we can face this virus crisis right now, that we're facing right now. We can. We can do the same as Marie Munson, this missionary, and trust in the plan that God has for us. So seek him like never before. Seek him and trust him and know he's there for us. And so with David and what we've learned here in Psalm 61, let's look up. Let's look back. Let's look ahead and see that is how to overcome when overwhelmed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. and Thank you for Psalm 61. I pray that we would all go back and go over it and, and, and read these words. And now that we understand what it says, that we would look up, look back, and look ahead and find comfort, hope, and we would see our faith be strengthened as we trust you in times like this. Lord God, I, I pray for everyone listening in right now, watching in, those heads that are bowed right now, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, God, God give us peace. Give us, hide us under your wings, Lord. Help us to feel secure and safe in you, Lord. And that we are reassured, God, reassure us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, by the touch of your Spirit, that you're here right now, and you will and are taking care of us. So, Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would be upon us right now, God. Lord, we look to you, to your promises, and so as we seek you, even right now, may we feel and sense your presence, Lord. Lord, as we come before you, thank you, Jesus, for being here. In your name, amen.